let's be honest, these big startups in general are having problems, are not being intersectional. We don't see people of color. We certainly don't see women of color. So I feel like the girl boss movement is really emulating the problems we're having in general. Again, those things tend to emulate power structures we have in society. This is the Tea of FIT, a podcast by W27, the Fashion Institute of Technology's newspaper from New York City. I'm your host, Prerna. Hashtag Girlboss, a perfectly Instagrammable story about a woman who bootstrapped her business and brought it to a multi-million dollar evaluation. The term seems so perfect, maybe too perfect, until these girl bosses were exposed for their self-serving agendas and lack of practicing actual feminist values. The word girlboss, often preceded by a hashtag, was popularized in 2014 by Nasty Gal founder Sofia Amoruso with her eponymous autobiography. Netflix adopted her story into a show, and she founded a media company of the same name, too. Girlboss became a term used for women who were in positions that were traditionally filled by men, especially in business. It was easy to believe that they could do it all and shatter glass ceilings because their images were so alluring. Picture perfect. Where the girl boss differed from other archetypes of career-oriented women, however, was her presence on social media. She was great at branding her business as well as herself, with a feminism through capitalism lens. Emily Weiss of Glossier, Stephanie Corey of Away, and Audrey Gelman of The Wing were all in this boat, until the facade, not the glass ceiling, started to shatter. Girl bosses are always Instagram friendly, which often means being white, upper middle class, cisgendered, able-bodied, conventionally attractive, and thin. The term is often associated with millennials and Generation C. Melissa Tombro, the founder of the Women and Gender Studies minor and English and Communication Studies professor at the Fashion Institute of Technology, pointed out, I don't know one person who's been portrayed as a girl boss that is not white. In this case, she was talking about fiction-based media. When I think of this in terms of girl boss, I can see that people have frustration with the concept because it seems to be coming from a place where I think this generation, Gen Z and millennials were very much taught to brand themselves, right? In order to have a career. So much is relying on this branding, on getting followers, on having a lot of people respond to you, on proving right? That people will listen to you and that you can influence other people, which is, which is a tremendous amount of pressure. So I think the girl boss thing comes from one woman's experience of having a fast rise in tech and also a very hard fall. In Hulu's show Shrill, Annie Easton attended a convention plastered in millennial pink that seemingly celebrated female entrepreneurial victories. I know that in reality, however, some of these women were preying on other women's insecurities to make a profit like contouring makeup for, quote, ugly legs. I know that part of Waham's mission statement is lifting up every woman, but can you really do that if the price point is so inaccessible? In Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid, social media savant Alex Chamberlain tried to achieve wokeness, as if that is something to be attained or awarded, by getting to know Amira Tucker, her young black nanny, 
but Alex still thought that she knew what was best for Amira. Bojack Horseman's Stephanie Stilton ran a publication with articles that are supposed to empower women. Need that list to call on five empowering roles for women over 40? That would be better played by Jennifer Lawrence. While these women are fictional, or even personified animals, and girl bosses are often portrayed as caricatures or in a satirical tone on media, it's frightening to see how similar their actions are to real-life girl bosses. According to BuzzFeed News, BIPOC Glossier employees voiced their concern about being treated worse than non-BIPOC employees by management and customers. Although their concerns were brought to the management's attention before, it took a publicly recognized Instagram post from several employees to address the issues they were facing and begin to change the company culture. In an article for Fast Company in February, The Wings co-founder Galman expressed feeling the pressures of being a perfect female entrepreneur because that's the image the media sold to her and everyone else. That image of a woman who can have it all, which in this case is a balance and professional life. This is unattainable for most. She acknowledged some of the micro and macroaggressions that were happening at the wing, but the company's plan at the time to work on these issues was not enough. In June, Gelman resigned from her position as CEO. The Wings started as an application-only, high-end co-working space for women who were a part of the gig and self-employed economy with a starting monthly charge of $185 in 2016. Its pink plush interiors, which Vox called, quote, an interior designed Instagram-perfect fantasy, end quote, covered up systemic problems the employees faced. Most of the Wing members were white, and many of the employees were BIPOCs, an employee told the New York Times. When 26 former employees voiced their concerns about being treated poorly and underpaid for their physical and emotional labor, the higher-ups never raised their wages. On the same day as posting a Black Lives Matter picture on the Wing's Instagram along with the promise to donate $200,000 to, quote, causes associated with the Black Lives Matter movement, end quote, the New York Times reported that the company failed to provide some of its employees with $500 for being laid off amidst the pandemic. The Wing was all for female empowerment but not for their employees. This type of performative feminism kept the doors open for people from privileged backgrounds and continued to leave marginalized people behind. In Lean In, Sheryl Sandberg discussed how to excel in the existing system and workplace structure. Renee Liebler, professor of entrepreneurship and seasoned entrepreneur herself, said, I don't think that we as women should uh, accept trying to figure out how to excel within a system when the system is broken. And, and that's what produces women that feel that they have to you know, claw their way to the top or that they're competing with other women, they can't support other women, which is very much a culture that I have seen. Professor Liebler pointed out that it's not women's fault that they have felt the need to only look out for themselves and in turn compete with other women. And, and I'm not blaming women for this because it's the system that had forced them to to fight so hard to be able to break through and to, and to break in that they had to do it at all costs. She acknowledged that that may not have been the best way to go about rising to the top, but now it's time to move on. Instead, I suggest be brave and try to rework the system to a better system that's more inclusive for all. And, and I will bet you will be more successful than, uh, than trying to 
work with a system that was a very much male dominated. Here's what Professor Tombro, the woman in gender studies minor founder, had to say on women in tech. Because tech yeah. companies rise and fall all the time. People brand themselves and fail all the time. And then they start another venture. It's really not an uncommon thing. But I think when we're tying it into one woman's story and sort of concepts of feminism, it gets a little bit more complicated. Many girl bosses prioritize getting themselves ahead while using feminism as their brand. Equating girl boss practices with feminism is incorrect by definition. Feminism is all about having gender equality for all. It's fundamentally intersectional and includes women of color, trans women, low-income women, disabled women, and any person of any gender. Understandably, these leaders that may have once set out to shatter glass ceilings lost their way. But that should not distract us from striving towards feminist values of equity and inclusion. I mean, I think the original idea of the girl boss, I think I would have a hard time saying how it it plays with intersectionality, but I would say that like a lot of the movements, I would say in the past decade, yes, the face of it is quite white, right? It's a, it's a very it's a very white movement. Literally the women we see associated with this term are white women. The failure of the term girl boss is not alone in its flaws. It reflects movements of the past. The downfalls of a few girl bosses should not stop us from having more women and underrepresented people in power. Instead, we should use this opportunity to consider how to restructure the business world and make it better. Let's be honest, these big startups in general are having problems, are not being intersectional. We don't see people of color. We certainly don't see women of color. So I feel like the girl boss movement is really emulating the problems we're having in general. Again, those things tend to emulate power structures we have in society. Although these situations have brought to light that we need more representation in higher up positions in companies and more inclusive company culture, this immense pressure to make systemic change should not only be a woman's responsibility. All leaders and their companies should be held accountable for their actions. It's unacceptable to be creating and perpetuating a culture that reinforces the structures that have only allowed some people, particularly the privileged, to succeed. The problem with these situations, however, is that women are typically held to a higher standard than men. This moral responsibility to make systemic changes should not be placed on women's shoulders to bear by themselves. We also need to provide a space for people to learn and grow, not just cancel them. The term girl boss, even with all its issues, does have some benefits. It made people question their associations with the word boss and who should be in charge. Questioning our beliefs is a way of learning. Although Professor Tombro is critical of the girl boss movement, she still sees it as an opportunity for growth. This is a way of learning, right? Learning is not, it's not a straight road right? It's certainly not easy. We all take on slogans that were like, oh, this sounds good, but maybe we don't really know the context of it. Maybe we don't know the whole history of it. But a lot of times those actions lead us to more understanding, lead us to want to know like, oh, I, I know I like this quote. People are asking me about it. Maybe I should go back, right? And find more of the history of it because I want to be able to respond to that person next time. And, and I want to understand more. It's like the interest is within us, right? Sometimes articulating what it means to us or, or how we represent it is, is very, very challenging. And that's not just for young people. That's, that's for all generations. We can't be perfect and we can't expect everyone to understand all facets of one issue. That's impossible. But we can be more understanding of others and their situations. Not only were there criticisms of how and who the girl bus archetype was used for, 
but there were also criticisms of the word itself. In relation to the term girl boss, Professor Chombro pointed out in that the concept of girl boss sounds very infantilizing to me. Why not call them women? Professor Liebler, on the other hand, also expressed her dislike of the word boss. She much preferred the term team leader over boss because she felt that that's a type of leader who would make a company great, not a boss. The reason I uh, don't like the term is because of the, mainly because of the word, uh, the word boss, uh, as well as the word girl, where women or, or young women were not girls. And also the term boss can be rather uh, derogatory. Historically, when we look at companies, which is what we do when we teach business and particularly when we teach entrepreneurship, we study those companies that have been most successful. So uh, like in my class, we study Warby Parker, for example. Uh, so you have four, in that case, you had four uh, male founders. First of all, they consider themselves a team, not a boss. And the way they treated all of their stakeholders, uh, particularly their employees, they were team players. And this was very much a part of the company culture. Another part of being a leader is sometimes not being liked by your employees. A lot of people have criticized the concept because they're saying that it kind of encourages women to enter the workforce to try to gain power in ways that traditionally, stereotypically, men have tried to gain power by perhaps being harsh, not allowing people to have personal lives, not taking people into account as individuals and their individual needs. At the same time, women disproportionately are expected to do a lot of emotional labor uh, in the workforce and to fulfill lots of stereotypes at the same time. Often like ambition in women is criticized. Often, I mean, being in charge often means not being liked. And that can be a very hard thing for women who are really socialized to try to please people. And I think a lot of times it becomes harder for women in those positions. They get criticized more harshly because they're expected to both, both do sort of emotional labor, to be kind, to please people, to defer to people, but at the same time, right, be leaders. Josie Wang, a senior and the president of the BIG Entrepreneur Student Organization at FIT, pointed out that she would not want to be known as a girl boss because the term is unnecessarily gendered. Why, why can't it just be boss? Why is it like a girl boss? You know? Like, so, if I, I think yeah. somebody is like, you know, a woman that I adore, admire in a way, I would just call her boss instead of, oh, you're a girl boss. To her, the term boss meant someone who's in charge of their career and life. There are various interpretations of what a girl boss truly is. I noticed with my interviewees that the college-age students generally like the idea behind the girl boss, even if it wasn't a fully reached lifestyle. I mean, I think in, like you can be a girl boss with every anything you do. That's Andrea Holmes, a board member of the FIT BIG Entrepreneurs Club. And I feel like to be a girl boss, you kind of have to have determination, which I think a lot of girls have. So I feel like I personally have that. So because of that, that's the reason why I've been called that for many reasons. Like I'm actually developing my own sustainable swimsuit brand. And I think with that, every single time I talk about it and I express my passion towards it, people are always like, that's such a girl boss move. Cause it's like, I'm not doing it just because, oh, I just want to like 
make money, be a CEO, and that's it. Like, I genuinely care for the environment. And when I express, like, the passion of building my own business and including such an important thing that we need nowadays, I feel like people have said that a lot to me. Here's what BIG Entrepreneur Club member Cindy thinks. I think we get to actually, or we should be able to call ourselves that at any point in our lives, like even as we're going to school, um, because having an education is a triumph because it's something we didn't have access to. And it's something that we totally, just naturally, it's not a bad thing. We may, it may be a privilege that we kind of just overlook or take advantage of because it's been so accessible now, you know, but would I consider myself a girl boss for deciding to progress with my education, like sit all the way through the, to get to my bachelor. Yes, I think that qualifies for any of us and every one of us who are sitting in class dealing with COVID and like the whole pandemic for hours on screen time trying to get that degree. That, that is being a girl boss. I think it's so flexible and it can be something so beautiful and fluid. So I think it, it's a word that belongs to everyone and anyone. If they feel good about what they've accomplished and the journey that they're on and they feel like it's contributing to what they believe in, however that looks like, they are more than welcome to be to call themselves a girl boss. Nidhi Basine, a recent FIT fashion design graduate and someone who worked on designing the new Girl Scout Nationwide collection, echoed Josie's discomfort with being put in a box with the precursor female. It is great for the movement and empowering young females to aspire to be an entrepreneur, to be a, a girl boss or a boss. But I also feel like you should aspire to be more than that, more than just a girl boss. You know what I mean? I'll talk um, for me, example, I, I think it's great that I'm known as like a young female Indian designer and those things make me really happy to represent. But I also feel like I also want to be just uh, like a designer. I don't want to be categorized as put into like a small, a smaller box being, like, oh, I'm a female designer. Does that make sense? Like you want to be you want to be on the same level as everybody else. The exposure of the reality of the girl boss trope and its flaws should serve as a wake-up call. We really need to look at people as individuals. And while it is essential to have more women in positions of power, it is essential to have more women of color in positions of power um, in order to reach these kinds of goals. Simply swapping out people within current power structures is not going to necessarily make the world a better place. We can all learn about the pressures on women and our flawed systems to improve. Currently, women do most of the unpaid and emotional labor at home by taking care of their kids and their family needs, according to the Pew Research Center. This extra burden only exacerbated in times like this with COVID-19 on women that most men do not face makes it more challenging for women to rise on the corporate ladder. If men were given paternity leave, then there would be a greater expectation for both partners to take care of children. Women would also be less likely to have such great income disparities between them and their partners. This is an opportunity to learn about the problematic sides of female leaders expecting to have it all. But we should also acknowledge that not all successful women are like this, and not all women want this either. Look, social media has a lot of, uh, you can talk about extremes on either side. And and maybe the, maybe as, as as in typically social media, the bad extremes have a louder voice. The reason for that 
is because our technology companies, whether you talk about Facebook or Twitter or, um, or, or any of the others, their algorithms work and are written such that they promote confrontational attitudes or extremist attitudes. Why? Because it gets more clicks and that's the business that they're in. While the term girl boss has proved to be problematic, there are some benefits to it, and some members of the FIT BIG Entrepreneurs Club felt this way too. Andrea felt that it could be used as a way for young women to feel that they have someone to look up to, but using the term girl boss isn't necessary. To her, actions speak louder than words. Cindy felt that if the values of a true girl boss, a truly empowered and successful woman in her own definition, were to be communicated, then we would have more female role models. Girl boss and other gender terms of achievement are on the path of acknowledging all that women have accomplished that they have not received recognition for or had opportunities for before. Eventually though, Nithi hopes that the term girl boss won't be necessary, but we aren't quite there yet. The girl boss lifestyle is a product of the rise of workism and the long history of women being excluded from stereotypically masculine jobs. Maybe stepping back from our workaholic culture and practicing feminism with all its intersectionality will help us move on from the girl boss trope. The girl boss in practice is not the exact antithesis of a feminist, but it certainly flirts with the idea. In a few years, another version of the career-oriented women, independent women, or girl boss will arise, but we have to remember that we shouldn't expect ourselves to do it all alone. It was a step in that we've had more women penetrate, you know, the glass ceiling, so in that way, you know, maybe we had to go through that step, maybe we didn't. But then the next step is a step where we're able to encourage and, and educate and mentor women in the fact that they should be supporting other women, other, other, other underrepresented um, individuals, because that's the way to produce either good societies, uh, good business culture, and not thinking that everyone's against you and having to fight, 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 fight. You know, we, we've moved past the uh, uh, the Sandbergs, the, the, the lean-ins that, you know, she came out of Wall Street, so she had to figure out how to excel inside a male-dominated financial system. So, so that's what she did. But let's now move past that um, and change the system such that it opens up more opportunity. Don't try to fight your way in and exclude others on your way up because, um, because you're, not, you're not making any changes uh, for the better. And, um, or maybe we should like we shouldn't even be worried about what other people define it as. It's what we think of it. We're all people in flux. We all grow and we all change, right? And seeing that also as part of movements. Any sort of movement is messy. Nothing is straightforward. Um, and a lot of times we find the core meaning and ways to be inclusive as we're developing ideas. So I think it's a really interesting moment, especially for your generation, in that you're going to find your own ways. Today's episode was based on an article I wrote for W27's Fall 2020 issue, At Home Edition, which will be linked in the show notes. If you're an artist, graphic designer, writer, editor, or anyone who'd like to join W27, you can email us at w 27 underscore newspaper at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at W27newspaper. 
This episode was produced, edited, and reported on by me, Prerna. Thank you to Professor Tombro and Professor Liebler for speaking to me for this episode. If you're interested in learning more about topics like the girl boss movement and women in entrepreneurship, then I highly recommend taking their classes in the Women and Gender Studies Department or the Entrepreneurship Department. I started the Women Gender Studies minor about five years ago, and we have a lot of really amazing professors and really amazing courses. And I think one of the neat things is that in starting this minor, lots of people kind of just really lots of professors jumped in and said, I would really love to write a course, right, to go with the Women Gender Studies minor. Thank you, FIT alumna Nidhi Basin, Josie Wang, Cindy Rojas, and Andrea Holmes for taking the time to speak to me as well. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're already a listener, thank you for supporting us into 2021. Our cover art is by Jenny Keating, and our theme music is by MYSM from Thematic. The TFFIT is a new show, so please help us get the word out by recommending this episode to your friends. You can also support us by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We'll see you next month with a fresh fruit cup of tea with topics like this and others affecting college students. I'm Prerna. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep spilling the tea.